Welcome to episode 13 of the Game Time Podcast. I'm in the middle of an airport waiting to board a plane. Tom and Ryan, I hope, aren't doing the same. You all right, boys? Yeah, I'm good. Ryan? <laughs> he's, clear, he's clearly not all right, or he's really far away, one of the two. Please speak, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the, the Rob Bryden thing where he does the, the little man in the box? That, in that's, that's what you sound like. <laughs> oh, let me, let me try and sort the mic. Oh, there you go. It, it, actually... it's, it's fine, and then it goes away again. Yeah, oh. I think it's auto instead of medium. Okay, there we go. Auto tiny man. <laughs> <laughs> this this queue for EasyJet boarding is going slowly. It's faster and faster. So, do do we want to? What do we want to start with? We've got to talk about Watford Watford Spurs, surely. Yeah, let, let's start with that one. Ryan, little man in a faraway box. <laughs> how how upset with you with that result? Um, yeah, very very upset, really. To um, not particularly. <laughs> he's, he's he's so he's so upset by that result. He can't I'm not I'm not particularly pleased. Goodbye, guys. <laughs> Just like horribly, like fuck you. <laughs> what were your thoughts on the Watford Tottenham game? <laughs> oh, it was really brilliant. Uh, it's funny because Ryan literally called it last week as well. He said he said like, oh, yeah. we need to make sure we don't underestimate them. Like they they literally just underestimated them. That was the whole thing. So it just didn't look like they had any game plan whatsoever. No. It was just like someone will bail us out eventually, and then no one did. Yeah, I felt sorry. I felt a bit sorry for them because I think like I think a lot of people get relative joy out of it not working for Tottenham. I, I don't really know why because they've got like all English, pretty much a very English squad. They've stuck yeah. by a manager. They play a, a, a type of football really well. People just hate them for no reason. They don't get it. It's just classic, like, don't like teams doing well. Yeah. I don't know. Here he is. Oh, is he's this, back. Is this any better? Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's much better. Oh, I've got my headphones in. Okay, sweet. At least we know now. Ryan, what do you think of the uh, Watford Spurs game? Um, yeah. Yeah, very annoyed about it, to be honest. Um, I said, as well, was it last week when I said we shouldn't underestimate them? And I feel like we did massively. Um, I mean, we were, we were very lucky to go ahead, I feel. Um, didn't exactly play too great. And then, obviously, they scored both goals from set pieces, really, which we should really be defending better than we, what we did. But, yeah, I, I don't think we even deserved a point, to be honest, if I'm being brutal. Um, it's probably the worst I've seen us play for a long, long time. And it's just really annoying to see, like, win the first three games and then win Old Trafford. And then you sort of go and lose a game in that manner like there's no no disrespect to Watford like because they played really well I thought but to lose it in that way was just really really frustrating for me me and Tom were just saying just before you reconnected it didn't look like you guys really had a game plan which is really odd for Spurs because Pochettino normally gets his sides playing the way he wants but you just look devoid of ideas for most of that sort of second half where Watford grabbed that equaliser and then just carried on going yeah, I feel like the like I said, the goal the goal was quite fortunate from us anyway, and then we basically just sat back and were hoping that we just 
didn't get didn't let one in and see then we let the equaliser in and it only seemed to go one way after that yeah not very good at all for me, for me it was quite strange because the way I think you saw um, Spurs react at half time last, last week at Old Trafford um, it was almost a polar performance this week as well I, I was wondering whether um, I, I always think Spurs, Spurs really always have to play well to get the results and, and they tend to play very well and, they, and maybe part of it yesterday is they just didn't perform enough the result. They couldn't get the result. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I believe. Like I say, we, we always we always have to sort of play well and also have to play a certain way. And I feel like we did neither of those on um, Sunday, really. And it was just really poor. Mm. I say to go from the reaction we got in the second half, because like I said last week, I thought we were pretty poor in the first half for Old, uh, Old Trafford as well. And then to go from that to basically letting Watford have the sort of like the run of us in the second half is very very annoying and I, I was hoping as I said last week that it would have sort of turned a corner mm. but obviously not <laughs> we're, we're back to where we are but yeah so yeah very frustrating and hopefully they'll have the two weeks now to get over it and then come back fresh when we play Liverpool but I'm not holding much hope out for that game because obviously they're four from four at the minute so mm. I mean yeah we'll have to see Watford uh, four from four as well and a word on them they've been fucking amazing like not many people would have thought looking at the fixtures they've had they'd come out with four wins especially the big one against Spurs how long do you think they can actually keep this going for? <laughs> forever <laughs> they will win every league from the end of time well I mean the bookies the bookies still think that they're more likely to finish in the relegation zone than they are in the top 10 even after winning their top first four games um, so Jesus. I think yeah, I think it's not. I know that there's talk today about them potentially offering Javi Gracia a new contract, and I think, in comparison to some of the, how uh, how they treat some of the other managers, I think that's quite surprising. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they've been they've been incredibly they they play incredibly well. They've got a style of play. They're they're not they're a very physical team as well, and I think that does unsettle. Um, I mean, Tottenham was the first significant team they've played, and I think yeah, before before Sunday, you probably would have said that. They should have got points from the other games they've played, but, but to still be to have won every game at this point of the season, that's so much pressure off of them. They now know they can go through a spell of not performing and losing some points. It doesn't matter too much for their sort of position as long as they avoid relegation. Yeah, true. I mean, if you look at the players they have as well, he hasn't. Uh, he signed Gracia, signed a lot of players in the summer. Not all of them are actually starting. It's pretty much a similar sort of squad he had last season. Obviously, this is his first full season in charge. So, I don't know, maybe he's just kicked, the up the, kicked them up the arse in the summer, got rid of Richarlison for a shit ton of money and then just said, go and play like you should do. I don't know. Mm. I'm not a manager. <laughs> very, very true, very accurate. Um... <laughs> Cheers, guys. <laughs> no, I'm going to say, I'm boarding the plane now, so I'm going to jump off. All right. Not the, okay. not the plane. I'm just going to jump off. Hello. United played really well. We did well. See you later. Yeah. Wow. See you later, Danny. <laughs> so, like, like I was saying, um, I, th- I feel like the way they set up in games, they are very... It's almost like a cup tie, mm-hmm. the way they yep. were playing. And, and it suits them perfectly for where they were playing. Obviously, they were sort of trying to get 
balls in behind for like Andre Gray to run into. And obviously Troy Deeney's presence, he's always has been like in the last like three or four years since he's been in the Premiership. And I feel like they exploited that really well and we didn't really handle it very well. And obviously both goals coming from set pieces was, like I said earlier, very disappointing because we want to be sort of keeping those types of attacks to a minimum really and like to give away a silly free kick and then to obviously score, let a goal in from a corner, it played perfectly into the hands. But yeah, I feel like if they can stick with a sort of like a way of playing a bit like Burnley did last year, then they can do really well this season because they're very, a very cohesive units already. You can see that definitely. I suppose uh, it's for some positive news for Spurs, um, Son obviously uh, winning the, the Asia Cup for South Korea means he'll be coming back after the international break and won't have to do the um, the military service. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Actually, I, I did watch it on like a dodgy YouTube stream on Saturday morning <laughs> because I was desperate. I was desperate to see how he was going to mm. do. So yeah, I was very, very, pleased, very pleased for him. But yeah, he you could just see like the absolute relief when they the final whistle. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're going to say if they, if the the South Korean military is missing some pace on the wing in, in, in any future wars, they are going to be very disappointed to be without him. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame because um, also I'd have liked to see someone put on Twitter I saw the other day, um, it said on the morning of the game, they said, this is when we find out whether Son's going to be in FIFA 19 or Battlefield 5. <laughs> and I'd have liked to see in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, it's, it's good. Do you, do, you know, is a, do you know if all of the team is it is it everyone in that team doesn't have to do military service now, or is it just Sun Hong Min? No, it's all of them, <laughs> which is really confu- um really controversial because the guy who was the manager mm. had basically picked um he was a manager in Korea mm. um before and he picked this one because they were only allowed three over twenty three years yep. old players, mm-hmm. I believe. Because it was a bit like the Olympic the football Olympics. Um and he picked obviously Son and then someone else and he picked this like absolute like jobber of a, of a striker who like was usually quite shit but he got in there because obviously he'd been mates with him from like this previous club and he was like oh sorry I'll get you out of the military mate don't worry uh, so that was that created a bit of a I was reading about it they created a bit of a stir and so oh, wow. that was quite funny well but yeah so that'd be good good for son I suppose but yeah and that was a it seems that the whole of the football world really was rooting for him though yeah, apart from a few choice Arsenal fans um, who, with obviously weird um, sort of vendettas against the South Korean man they've never met. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, the game itself was pretty poor. You could see both teams were just absolutely knackered. Mm. And, um, but Japan, Japan's team was basically like a load of under-20s because oh, right. they're planning for their Olympics when they do in 2020. Mm. So they are a very like, experimental side. I mean, if they wouldn't have won, they'd have had themselves to blame because they were basically playing against one side. But yeah, it was it was very very nervy <laughs> towards the end. But yeah, glad they got over the line. But um, good, 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 good for him, I guess. Though overall, oh yeah, like I say, he's he's going to be um, he's going to be buzzing about it. There'll be some um, there were some beers afterwards, I imagine, when he comes back to London. He can burn his military uniform. <laughs> Doesn't need it. Um, there's another, there's another uh, team that's won all of their games, and that is Liverpool. Um, they had a, a relatively of convincing course. win, I guess, although nervy at points against Leicester. Um, I, one of the big talking points, I suppose, from that game is is uh, the inevitability of an Allison mistake. And there's something that has been so, sort of spoken about well, for nu- numerous iterations of Liverpool keepers, but there has been a sense since the start of the season that he maybe is due one. Um, what did you make of the game? Um, I, I sort of likened it a lot to the... Manchester United-Leicester game from the first day of the season. 
in terms of Leicester looked okay, but they just left themselves a bit too much to do towards the end. Obviously, going 2-0 down at home is never ideal. And then they obviously got back into the game. They looked okay. I mean, they had a couple of chances. Um, but obviously, the, the goal, and they basically got mm-hmm. gifted a goal, didn't they, by the goalkeeper. Um, and I feel like they could have got a point. But again, they're just, they're just leaving themselves a little bit much to do in these bigger games. So you're going to come back to bite them against teams like maybe Man United and Liverpool and Chelsea, for example, later in the year. They need to be starting on the front foot a lot more because they are a capable side. And I think Liverpool did genuinely look quite rattled for the first time this season, which um, is, not, is obviously going to happen throughout the course of the year. Um, but yeah, I think like Liverpool just did enough to hold on. But yeah, the, I mean, the mistake itself was very it's just stupid really when you look at it like no matter how many times you look at the replay like there's no need for him to do it at all I mean I don't know what you thought did you uh, did you watch the game on Saturday or were no you no busy? I, I did see it and 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 I think there's been a bit of commentary about it saying that maybe it, there was an issue with the defenders who weren't giving him the reason he tried to do the Cruyff turn was because there wasn't an option available to him to pass to um mm. and I think a lot of people have been saying, oh, he should, he should just hoofed it clear. And, and I think I do agree with that. But I guess if you're in a system where the whole point of it is you don't do that, the temptation to do something like this and it to then fail and then you ultimately give a goal away, it is going to be always a threat for, for teams like this. Um, and especially when I think the Premier League has a, has a real big focus on it, is, is having quick players that close down defenders and goalkeepers up front. So whether, whether it's, um, I know it was Iheanacho and, and Gazelle scored the goal for Leicester, but there is a lot of players around the Premier League that do like to press onto the goalkeeper to try and make those mistakes happen. Yeah, definitely. Like I say, and it's, I, don't, I don't know, I mean, obviously there are sort of players that will do that in Italy, but whether it's as mm-hmm. widespread coming mm-hmm. from Roma might be a, it might be a problem for him. But yeah, I, I do feel like sometimes without wanting to sound a bit too sort of like route one, there are some times when you just have to get yeah. rid of the ball. And that was pretty pretty clear on Saturday. And obviously he was thought he could get out of it and then made himself look like a bit of a muppet, really. But yeah, I'm 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 sure that he's gonna get him out of more tight spots and he's gonna sort of like cause problems this year. A bit like Edison last year, obviously he was sort of praised a lot for the ball when he had the ball at his feet, and then he made obviously that one sort mm-hmm. of error where he booted the ball to mm-hmm. Salah in the Liverpool game, and then obviously he scored from like 45 yards out or whatever it was. So obviously you are going to get the inevitable downside with a goalkeeper that mm-hmm. can do that. But I feel like, like I say, he will win them enough points to maybe counterbalance that throughout the rest of the year. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the things I didn't realise about um, Alisson is he's only 25 as well. So he's potentially got a very long career ahead of him, whether that's at Liverpool or, or eventually if he moves on somewhere else as well. And I know that the, the argument was made similarly with Pickford before, where you seem to spend a lot of money. I know that, that Alisson's a lot more money than Pickford was, but if you're getting a keeper for sort of seven or eight years, he really could prove to be value for money over that period, especially if you sort of disperse the value over that sort of seven or eight year career. And I think there was a save he did make. I think it was from VAR. I, I can't remember who it was from, actually. But um, his ability to get get down to the ball very, very quickly is something that I think is really impressive. And I think it, it's one of the criticisms I think Courtois had at Chelsea was that he's a, he's a very good shot stopper, but his ability to get down to the sort of low shots was maybe hampered by how tall he was. And I think Alisson, I think six foot four, six foot five, something like that. So he's still a big keeper. But his reactions are very, very good and, and sort of similar to Ed Ayrton and De Gea. So I'm sure he will make mistakes like like all keepers do. 
Um, and unfortunately, with keepers, when you make a mistake, it's obviously a lot closer to the home and a lot closer to the goal. So that's that's difficult to get out of. But I agree with you. I think he's gonna he's gonna earn them a lot of points over the years as well. Yeah, like I said, it's one of my big things with, um, like you said about Pickford when he got signed last year by Everton. Like obviously, he was like thirty million, which is a big deal at the time. But he's now probably England's number one goalkeeper, undisputedly. Mm-hmm. And if they keep him for ten years, that's three million pound a year that he's cost yeah. them. And like I say, it's nothing really when you think about that. Obviously, um, and I feel like goalkeepers have been a lot over the last few years. They've been undervalued in the market. Like you look at, we bought Larice for about thirteen million pounds. Mm-hmm. So, and you look at other players like De Gea, even though it was a big deal at the time, he only cost Man United about 18, yeah. 19 million back in yeah. like 2011. So, it's one of those things, I think it's just catching up to this sort of like big in, uh, inflated prices that we've seen at the minute mm-hmm. for outfielders. And I feel like finally people are realising that, yeah, goalkeepers are actually worth the money mm-hmm. you spend on them. So, yeah, I'm like I say, I'm fully for the idea that if you spend 60, 70 million on a goalkeeper, then he will pay it back in kind over the next five or 10 years. I say, regardless of whether they go to Barca or Real Madrid in the end, like Courtois obviously did. But yeah, I I do think that um, he will, he will be all right this year. I know he's got a bit of stick, Alisson, but I think he'll, he'll sort them out this year a couple of times over for that uh, little mistake he did on Saturday. So there's one more team, which is, um, which is gained maximum points and that's Chelsea. Uh, they obviously beat Bournemouth at Stamford mm. Bridge on um, on Saturday. Yeah. Know, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I went I went to the game and it was um it was I, I think I said I said to you before it's it, it was one of those games where it felt like an old Premier League game where um the just one team is better and as good as we played mm. they were just better than us and they had two I think noticeably um, Hazard and I thought Kante played really well as well. I, I, Jorginho played okay, but they just you just could tell the quality in their team was there throughout. And um, we didn't really test their keeper either, which was a bit frustrating. Um, but they had a, so much possession. They had lots of chances. And, and it was one of those games where once they scored once, uh, the fir- their first goal, I knew they were going to score again. And I knew that would be it, game over. And that was around mm. the 70th minute. So, yeah. I, 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 what do you make of, uh, after, after four games, what do you make of Sarri's Chelsea so far? Um, yeah, like I said, I've only seen them properly like over the course of 90 minutes in the Newcastle game last weekend, because obviously it was on Sky. Um, I've only seen sort of highlight packages of the rest of the games, including the Bournemouth one. I do think that he has obviously instilled his values very quickly, which is important for Chelsea. Um, to obviously play in a completely different formation and bringing in a couple of players. Um, obviously the keeper and Jorginho, as you mentioned. Um, I believe that they will get into the top four this year comfortably now I mean I was a bit sort of wondering whether they would I was I think I remember saying at the start of the season they'd probably pip us to fourth maybe because I did think that he Sarri is a good manager he will get players playing for him earlier than Emery would at Arsenal and I feel like that has happened um, and I feel like yeah if they can carry on I don't know who they have immediately after the um, international break I can't remember what the fixtures are but if they can keep the run going then they'll be in a very good position, not only to get in the top four, but also to challenge for the league, I think, which is not what a lot of people thought they would do at the start of the year, me included. I thought they'd get top four, but yeah, if they there's no there's no end to where they can go now. I mean, they, they seem to have settled on a good system. And um, like I said, from what I saw, though, going back to what you said about Bournemouth, I feel like they were a bit unlucky as well, even though they just were mainly maybe outclassed by like Hazard and Kante. Um, obviously, you had the chance with Nathan Ake when he hit it over from about what, three yards yeah, out or whatever it was. And um and then you, you obviously from what I could hear when I was listening to it, I don't on um 
just like watching the scores on Saturday, and they said that Bournemouth were given as good as they got, but obviously it just got to the point where they just couldn't mm-hmm. contain Chelsea anymore. Which is like, so there's no shame in that. There's going to be worse teams than Bournemouth that go there and lose heavily, more heavily than two 0 So there's nothing to worry about from your end. But yeah, I do think that Chelsea can mount a real challenge. But obviously, again, it depends on what happens with the Europa League, which will be interesting to see how they deal with that because it's the first time they've been in it properly. Whereas obviously like Spurs and Arsenal and have had experience of playing from the group stages, which is notoriously the killer. So yeah, it will be interesting to see how they deal with that and uh, going from Thursday, Sunday. But I do think that they've made a cracking start and I feel like they can they can really push on now, especially with the international break now. They can sort of say, right, OK, we've done the four games now. Let's come on and come back. Same with Liverpool, actually. Let's come back stronger in two weeks' time. Yeah, I think one of the things I was surprised with with Chelsea was their, they were really uh, happy to sort of let their centre defenders, I think it was um, uh, Rudiger and David Luiz on, on, on Saturday, just take the ball sort of from a really high line and dictate the play. I, I had a perception that it was very much going to be, we're going to give the ball to Kante, we're going to give the ball to Jorginho and let them play. And they do have a lot of passes, but they're more than happy to sit on their own halfway line and dictate these deep swinging balls out to um, uh, Azpilicueta or, or Alonso. And, and it was something I was a bit surprised with. So getting the best out of those players, I mean, Louise's accumulative transfer values over the years has been probably close to £100 million. So he's obviously a player that, People have rated previously, and he does have that capability. So if he can, he can maintain that. But he is also the one thing you do notice about Louise is he's always one of these players. You know, there's a mistake there, and it it, oh, yeah, it may not be in every game, but you you know if you put pressure on him, he'll misjudge a ball or or, or put a pass too short. Um, and I think that was one of the issues we had, where we were we probably paid Chelsea a bit too much respect on Saturday, and just let them dictate the play a lot. And, we were restricted to um, restricted to counter attacks and things like that. But um, overall, I was I was really pleased with our performance. I think even though it was two 0 and we didn't really have much of the game, I agree. I think there's going to be teams that go to Stamford Bridge and get battered this season. Um, and I'm I'm pleased oh, that we weren't, weren't one of them. Um, but it was good to yeah. see Jefferson Lerma made his Premier League debut, debut and so did Diego Rico. And Jefferson Lerma looks like a shit house. So I'm ex- he did, he did, yeah. It was a pr- but, yeah, he clipped, I think clipped Hazard's heels. And it was one of those fouls where it was on the halfway line and Hazard was probably just about to get up a full head of steam. And it was everyone everyone roundly applauded that foul. So, um, yeah, I, th- I, I think he's, he's, he's <laughs> yeah. going to be a, maybe a more technical version of Harry Arta, which, which is quite exciting for, for Bournemouth. But, yeah, I, in terms mm. of our first four games, I'm really seven points. I think we're sixth. It took us to the end of October last season to get six points. So um, yeah, I'm re- I'm really I'm really chuffed yeah, with how, how it's gone so far. The yeah, I bet. Like I said, I I know sometimes, obviously, a couple of times before Bournemouth have been maybe a bit mm-hmm. slow to start, maybe sort of losing points from winning positions. But it's good, obviously, to get the points on the board, especially if, like we said before, if you are going to challenge for sort of like consistent mm-hmm. top half uh, Premier League finishes and maybe like European or cup positions. Like I say, you do to get the confidence in early is a good, is always a good thing. And like I say, with the two signings sort of coming in and not looking at horrendously out of place. It's always good because um, he got obviously Rico had that band, didn't he, for the, <laughs> yeah. clapping the, the ref off the yeah. bench, <laughs> which is a great way to get banned as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that it's good, it's good that they can sort of come in for Daniels and Arta. Mm. One more thing about mm-hmm. uh, Harry Arta um, that I, I thought he did look, he didn't look out of place <laughs> for Cardiff on Sunday as well. So if 
they have an injury crisis. I hope they've got the recall clause in because he he still looked decent. Like I I just assumed that they were sort of getting rid of him because maybe he couldn't cut it mm. in the prem anymore, or obviously bringing in a seventeen or twenty million pound player is obviously going to mean he gets a start. But yeah, he he did he still looks yeah. okay. So <laughs> you've always got them always got that yeah uh, option. There's, there's, a, there's a few players that we've we've got rid of over the past few years, and one one of them who had a really good weekend is Glenn Murray as well. And um, I, I think, oh, um, yeah, yeah, I think one of the things we suffer from is is sometimes we, we get rid of players um, and they're not particularly, their careers aren't done and then they're not on the decline, it's just they don't get into the team. And I mean, Glenn Murray is a perfect example. He had a fantastic game for for Brighton against Fulham on, on Saturday. And that was a game where Fulham were 2-0 up and, and Brighton responded. Did you, did you get, did you see any of that game? Yeah, that was probably not. I was going to say, like, out of all the games we sort of like in the Premiership, at least that was probably the standout one for me for the weekend. Um, I watched that. That was um, sort of extended highlights of that, and I thought um, Fulham obviously, like I say, started off quite well. But it was it was a weird one really because obviously they Brighton missed a, missed a penalty starting off, and then Fulham went two up, and it was one of those sort of classic games you get at the start of the season, maybe where teams are still trying to find the best mm-hmm. formation or find the best players. And you could see that still, obviously, like Fulham went 2-0 up, but then never looked like they were going to hold it. Um, and obviously, Brighton, you know, like I said, they know what they're about at the minute, but they're still tweaking the new signings in. Obviously, they've got bringing people in. And, and like I said, with Murray, it's a bit, a bit bizarre, really, because obviously you've, they bought a few strikers in the January window and then summer, and then Glenn Murray's still doing the business at yeah. 34 years old. And he, he's part of the crew, really. You've got him, Troy Deeney, obviously mm-hmm. scored at the weekend, and mm-hmm. also Vardy who all are sort of like 30-somethings and they're still doing the business, which shows that it's sort of like not only obviously you have to be a good footballer, but also work rate and sort of just general working for the team still has a place in, in the Premier League, which I, I'm sort of I'm glad about that, really, because you get players, like you say, like Murray, who have had solid careers and it's now paying off towards the end where he's still getting goals every week, really. And and, and Mitrovic yeah. scored for, for, for Fulham and he's now jumped up to score, I think, in the Premier League this season with Mane. Do you think that maybe Newcastle may miss the goals that he potentially could have brought them? I do, but I don't think he would have got in their team anyway, personally. I mean, um, it's. I think Benitez has made it pretty clear that he didn't trust Mitrovic. I mean, with all due respect to the strikers they have at Newcastle at the minute, and obviously the strikers they've let go, like Dwight Gale's in the Championship now um, with West Brom. I mean... Mitrovic should be walking into that team. Like you've got Hosselu, who, all right, he scored a couple of goals towards the start of the season, but he's not really cut it as a striker at Stoke or Newcastle in the past two seasons, three seasons, however long he's been in the Prem. Um, and like you say, you've got Mitrovic, who, yes, he has a bit of a temper and maybe he's a bit volatile, but I feel like it was a move for the best of both clubs when he left because obviously he works with um, Jukanovic quite well. Obviously, they're sort of. Um, compatriots that mm-hmm. country-wise so they can sort of get on they obviously got some understanding there and you saw he did the business in the championship so I feel like yeah that Newcastle will miss his goals but they wouldn't have played him anyway so it's like goals they wouldn't have regardless even if he was still on the books in a way you know what I mean like he would still yeah. be in the reserves now but you know that he is capable obviously like Fulham have paid the money and he is a, he is a great mm-hmm. player in my mm-hmm. opinion but yeah, so it's it's not. I don't think it's Newcastle's loss. I think they've done well to get the money, but obviously it's their fault for not re-investing um, mm-hmm. it in any players, apart from Rondon on loan, really. But that's it. So yeah, it's it's um, Newcastle are strange. Like I say, they going on to the Man City game. They they looked okay. I mean, they did the same thing against what they did against Chelsea. Like sort of sat back, were happy not to have the ball, 
and it seems to suit them really mm. the way they play. But obviously they just can't get the results at the minute. Like, but losing again, losing two one to Chelsea and two one to City, yeah. it's no shame. They'll do, they'll do okay. I think this season. But yeah, they obviously the, the money they'll have, they just need yeah. to invest it. I, I think that's the biggest question is if, if they will do that. I suppose because as long as they've got Rafa in charge, I think they've got a fantastic manager. Um, sort of controlling the, the management of the team, um, but if he's not getting the funding, I, I, what they're doing at the moment, I, mean, I think they're um, they're 18th in the league and they've only got they've only got a point this season. But like you said, they've played City and Chelsea and they've, they've had respectable results. And really, I guess if they played maybe two middle table to bottom half teams, they may have been able to get some more points on the board. Do you think that he's going to have any pressure on him? For, the, for whatever happens this season, and or do you think uh, Ashley will sort of respect the job that he's done so far? Yeah, I, I feel like he's pretty much got a free hit now because if he is pressed by any, anyone, any journalists about it, he can obviously just come up with the same um, excuse, like, oh, I've not had any money to spend. So it's like I say, he's, he's basically, as long as he keeps him up, I think he'll be fine. But even if um, they get relegated. I don't think he'll get sacked because obviously that happened last time when he came in towards the end of the year when they went down. It wasn't really his fault because obviously you had um, Steve McLaren in charge before and he did the majority of the work mm-hmm. to send them down. But um, yeah, I feel like he's bought himself enough time on time side, but I feel like he will outlast okay. Mark Ashley, personally. I feel like he'll Ashley will look to sell again for probably a reduced price. Mm-hmm. In the summer, and then he will stay there because if they get rid of him, then that could be, they could feasibly end up like mm-hmm. a bit like Sunderland, mm-hmm. in my opinion, just falling through the leagues because like I say the, the the sort of like the structure of that club is completely rotten, and it mm-hmm. has been for a while. So they they're doing well to hang on to a manager like Benitez at the minute, and sort of to get the results, even though they're narrow losses, to get the results they're getting is nothing short of a miracle I think <laughs> on the other side of that result what, what, what do you make of City so far because I, I feel like they've they haven't looked their best and I didn't think they particularly looked their best against Newcastle do you think it's, it's maybe they're missing De Bruyne that much or do you think maybe the team on the whole isn't clicking yeah I do think obviously De Bruyne is probably one of their most important players behind maybe Aguero um, in terms of what he brings to the team so I do think that it's a big miss and I think that they will start to click sometime after the international break. Because I remember them doing very similar um, last season. They started off with a couple of wins. They were quite narrow. And obviously, they really kicked on towards sort of like around the sort of Christmas period, maybe just before. So I feel like, like I say, they'll they'll find a way around it. Obviously, Guardiola is a very Mm -hmm. astute manager. And he will find a way. He'll probably maybe deploy... um, Bernardo Silva in that role or maybe bring Mares into the team and play him more centrally to sort of um, counter for De Bruyne and not playing but I'm, I'm, I think they will they will click into gear next because I do think there are flashes of that team we saw last year but it's just maybe not maybe a little bit of a hangover from last year like the 100 yeah. points maybe and sort of like thinking that oh yeah we were really really good and um, maybe not building on that but like I said injuries happen so they have to work around it but I do think they'll be They'll be firing all, all cylinders probably just about the time we play them, actually, end of, <laughs> end of October. They'll probably come up and put about nine past us, especially because, I don't know if you saw, we've got the game moved to Monday night because of the NFL and the um, various stuff around Wembley. So they're up in arms because I think if City or us get through to the next round of the League Cup, then our games will have to be played on Thursday night. So we'll have like Monday night, then Thursday night in the League Cup and then have to play on Sunday. 
So it's going to basically knock on for two weeks in a row. And obviously that's all our <laughs> fault. So see her up in arms. But like I said, they agreed to it. I, I would have just rejected it if I were them. But obviously they, they obviously took the moral <laughs> high ground. But yeah, so that could, be, that could be spicy. But yeah, I couldn't imagine us getting a wallop in there if they turn up and are still on their game. The yeah. other side of Manchester, that, um, and Danny mentioned earlier on that United got a decent result against Burnley. It, it was pretty um, comfortable in the end, even, even with Marcus Rashford getting sent off. Um, first, just about on that first, at what point is a headbutt a red card? Because I, I thought he, he sort of locked, he did the sort of the what stags do when they lock horns. But, I, yeah. or lock antlers. <laughs> but I, 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 I sort of feel like, why why is he getting a red card and Phil Barsley isn't? Because the action isn't hurting Phil Barsley. I wouldn't say it's particularly violent. No, I mean, and like I say, if you look at the... Um... Replay. Phil Bars is one mm. that starts it as well. So if you can't handle it, then don't start it, mm. mate. In my opinion, um, obviously he went sort of like he won the ball a bit forcefully, and then obviously kicked mm. out of him again, and then made what I thought made the most of the sort of like the coming together of heads. I wouldn't even call it a head, but it was just sort of maybe the heads were a bit <laughs> close. <laughs> yeah. So they, and he like I said, sort of trying to show like their dominance, like I say, like in. Um, like mm. animals do. But yeah, I do think that he was probably, I mean, he shouldn't have reacted like that in, in the way. He should have maybe just let it go because obviously I think they were, were they two in yeah, the time, yeah. I think? Yeah. They were pretty comfortable anyway. So to do that, like whilst two nil up is pretty mm-hmm. silly in his his actions. Like if it was nil-nil and he was being frustrated and he'd been kicked all afternoon, then maybe you could say, okay, yeah, he's lashed out and lost his head. But really, there was no need for it. And obviously, like I say, Barzi, I feel like Barzi should be sort of reprimanded afterwards because, like I say, he was the instigator and then made the most of it. But yeah, I do, I do feel like they need to sort of have a clear rule on this sort of headbutt or this this sort of rule because it doesn't really make much sense to me. You have players that get sent off for far mm. less than that. Like maybe just even sort of getting in someone's personal space is enough to send them <laughs> to the floor now. And then obviously someone red carded for not a lot, which is yeah frustrating. But yeah, it's silly from Rashford in my opinion. But yeah, I can can totally understand why. So the, the game itself, Lukaku scored twice, and and like I say, it was a relatively comfortable game. Joe, even Joe Hart, Joe Hart made a penalty save from Pogba as well, so it could, it could have been a bigger scoreline. Um, if we sort of maybe ignore the the controversy around Mourinho this season and actually look at how Burnley are performing. Do you think they need to be worried going forward? I mean, they've, they're now uh, four games into the season and they're second bottom with one point. You would probably wouldn't have expected them to beat Man United, but they've rolled over for a couple of teams this season. Yeah, I mean, like I say, the, the teams they have played, obviously they um, got beat at home by Watford, again, which as we know now on from Sunday's game, that's no, that's no, no, no problem in that at all. Like, good teams lose to Watford, mm-hmm. as we've seen. Um, <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so it's in, it's interesting to see Burnley. Obviously, they have the distraction of the Europa League now. Unfortunately, they didn't get through. I would have liked to have seen them in Euro, Europa League football just because for the pure mm. fun of it. And we'll get on to that in a minute. I've got sort of a bit of a like a side story about that that we'll probably talk mm-hmm. about towards the end um, as the roundup. But yeah, um, I do think that, again, they haven't started the season very well and they didn't really sign that many players. Obviously, they got Hart, which was a very bizarre transfer anyway because they have two England goalkeepers. I suppose the third is not really necessary. Um, and they're basically just signing for a couple of games because when Heaton and Pope come back, I can't imagine yeah. he'll get in the team. Um, and it was a bit, it smacked a bit of desperation from Sean Dyche, I think. Um, like mid, Vidra as well, like a very capable player, but how does he fit into Burnley's team? Like they usually go for quite robust forwards and then he's there and he's mm-hmm. below six foot 
and he's running in behind. Like, it doesn't really fit how they play. But it'd be very interesting to see how they do this year. I think they, looking from the first four games, I reckon they need to sort of turn it around soon. Otherwise, I could see them in trouble, mm-hmm. personally. There's two teams I'm sort of a bit worried about this year from looking from their first performance. I'd probably say Huddersfield, even though they got a good point on Saturday against Everton. Um, and I do think Burnley could get dragged down to something around the bottom bottom three or bottom four if they're not careful. Because like I said, they just seem to be not found out because obviously the, the playing style, they, ne- they made no secret of how they played. But I do feel like that teams maybe have got a little bit more wise to it and maybe Dyche needs to sort of change it up a little bit more get some like new tactics in or just just like I say get the first win on the board that might trigger something you never know but yeah it has been a poor start like understandably so like I said because of the Europa League distraction but they just really need to knuckle down now yeah, exactly. and get involved I think um, I think they've got the managers to get them out of the situation as well but I agree I think they haven't looked like particularly giving anyone any, any difficulty and, and they really are going to need some big performances in, in a couple of weeks time after, after they come back from international breaks because they really do need to start getting points on the board. And, and someone else who needs to get start getting points on the board is, is, is West Ham. They obviously lost um, with a last-minute uh, goal from Traore. What, what do you think so far of, of how West Ham have performed? I mean, they, they've had some two, I would say, arguably big games versus Liverpool and Arsenal, which you, you, both away games, which you wouldn't anticipate they, them of winning. They played us uh, in Bournemouth. They were probably unlucky to not get anything, even though they played poorly. And then the game against Wolves... Looked like they were on for a point, but but were able to uh, was able to throw it away in the last minute thanks to a, a great run by Traore. They've spent a lot of money in the summer. Um, some big players, big names coming in, whether that's um, Philippe Anderson and, and even Jack Wilshere in the middle of the park. At what point do they start getting worried, and how important are their next few games uh, to make sure they pick up as many points as possible? Yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the, I am a bit wary about even though I've already sort of said I've got concerns maybe about Huddersfield and Burnley, the way they've started, that's more from a sort of like a stylistic point of view. I think feel like those teams might have been maybe a little bit, people have got wise to how they play, but I think West Ham, it, it's a very difficult club to predict at the rest of times. But like I say, looking at last year with Palace going, um, losing their first seven games without scoring a goal and still comfortably surviving, mm-hmm. I feel like West Ham maybe could have a season like that mm-hmm. in terms of like maybe they'll get their first win sometime in the middle of September. And then they'll sort of maybe just bumble around mid-table. But I feel like this is a lot of lot of transition this year. Obviously, they're still sort of yet to fully move into that new stadium of theirs. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you've got like the, like you say, the players. Like you've got like Felipe Anderson. He's come from European football with Lazio. Yarmolenko has been playing um, for Dortmund. So obviously, there's like a bit of an ego coming there. And you've got like Wilshere. And it's going to be difficult to them sort of marry all that up together. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if it takes more than a season to do that but yeah I do think like there are flashes of sort of decent players within all the players that they've signed obviously like Philippe Anderson like you said the other day he looked okay against Arsenal and mm-hmm. he's looked he's looked a, a decent-ish player like for all the money they've spent and obviously they've got players like Yarmolenko who he's yet to convince and Wilshere even though he's a bit of a prick um, he can <laughs> still obviously like turn up and when he wants to he can play well for what like Arsenal when he did um, in the last couple of seasons mm. so I, yeah I do think they'll be okay but yeah they do need to get our first win on the board otherwise they're going to start like I said the home fans last year with the protest against the Burnley game mm-hmm. it, it could turn it could turn like that but I do think personally they will be 
probably okay, like sort of lower mid table. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the sooner they get the sooner they get the first win, the better, just to get people maybe talking about something else. A bit yeah. like United did at the weekend, like get the spotlight away from Mourinho and get the yeah. spotlight away from um, playing badly. Mm-hmm. Well, I, yeah, yeah, I think what, an interesting thing with with West Ham is if you look at their next few games, um, they've got Everton away, which is going to be a, probably a difficult game anyway. But after that, they face Chelsea. They have a game in the the EFL Cup. Then they've got Man United. Then they have Brighton away, Tottenham at home, and then Leicester away. And that brings them up to the end of October. And I think there is there is a real threat that they could go through that and maybe only pick up. They could maybe nick a win somewhere. They could pick up a couple of points. And I know that the West Ham board have come out today and said that um, Pellegrini isn't under any um, any pressure um, with his job at the moment, even though they haven't picked up any points in the first four games. But I always think when West Ham put those type of statements out, it's probably the reverse, and there definitely is some pressure on them. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's I, a bit like reverse psychology. Yeah, I also, uh, I also think that a lot of the players they've signed, they could end up leaving in a year or two and then play very, very well for someone else. Uh, it just strikes me as the type of players... Felipe Anderson was playing very well for Lazio and it was quite, maybe a bit of a surprise to come to West Ham. But he's also mm. the type of player that I wouldn't be surprised maybe moves back to Europe. Maybe, I don't know, so it's maybe France or something like that. And then absolutely tears up France. So I yeah. guess maybe there is a question, are they playing the right system to suit some of their, their top players? And I know one of the questions that um, we've had before is that they don't seem to be playing anyone in, in the centre defensive midfield. And, and they, they haven't really got that player to fill in there. And they signed Carlos Sanchez after the World Cup as well. Um, and maybe he could play that position. I know Declan Rice is, is, is one that um, we've been looking at before. But they do seem to have gaps in their team. I wonder how that will play out in, in the sort of coming months. Yeah, like I say, it's almost like a bit of a, whenever West Ham sign a big player, you do expect them to almost like do what uh, Payet did. Yeah. In terms of, they, they see it's like as a clear stepping stone. Mm. I mean, it's, it's like, obviously, a lot gets talked about sort of English football. Do come here mainly for sort of like the money and the exposure as well. Like, you do get players like that. Obviously, we, like Spurs, had a few players like that before, like people like maybe Berbatov mm-hmm. and uh, Modric. Clearly, there's no no fault from them. Obviously, using the club to go on to better things, and I feel like West Ham are at that stage now where they have the money and the stadium, and they're obviously in the Premiership, and they can attract these players like um, Philippe Anderson. But yeah, I could like totally see what you where you're coming from in terms of like just leaving, mm-hmm. and then obviously that will leave them in a bit of a one looking a bit silly if they then tear it up in Europe, and then they could barely even get in the team at West Ham, mm-hmm. and also um, the fact that like you say, if they're not picking them on their strengths and what's the point in spending 40 million on them in the first exactly, place yeah. you may as well just put in Robert Snodgrass in like they have done in the last two weeks <laughs> and because you know what you're going to get from a player like Snodgrass like he may not be as technically um, gifted as maybe someone like Anderson mm-hmm. but he will run around and do all the dirty stuff whereas Anderson will probably think oh you know what I can't be arsed with all that <laughs> I'll be leaving in 12 months anyway exactly, <laughs> so yeah. it's an interesting one like I said they've always been a a weird, a weird club in, in the way they run and the way they sort of like go through stages. But I do think that if they're going to get their first one anyway, anywhere, it will probably be against us because again, <laughs> they always raise the game against Tottenham <laughs> every year. Like they, they're well up for it, which is well, sort of a bit weird because it doesn't really go the other way. We're not really that bothered. Mm-hmm. Um, we sort of got bigger fish to fry, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so that, that'll be, like I said, reading out the fixtures, that has made me a bit more concerned for their sort of state. Yeah. Uh, 
you can see like you can't really see where the points are coming from. Actually, they might get the odd point here and there. Maybe like Everton away could be a draw, mm-hmm. or uh, yeah, the rest of them. That is going to that is a pretty rough looking fixture list. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they go this time in the next international break. If they're still not got a point on the board, <laughs> that's going to be that is going to be worrying. But also, you could see it happening, like you said. Yeah. So there's two games left. Um, we'll I guess first look at Huddersfield uh, versus Everton. Everton, who I didn't think particularly played very well. They they still were able to come away with the point thanks to a goal from Calvert Lewin. Um, Everton are missing quite a few first team players, and, and I think that was sort of apparent with their maybe lack of imagination against Huddersfield. Do you think how Everton will probably maybe uh, finish? They're currently seventh. They've got six points this season. Do you think they're, they're a team that could be challenging for the edge uh, of Europe, or do you think they'll be a mid-table team? Um, yeah, I do think like again. Recalling the sort of like the chat we had before the season started, I do think they will be the nearest thing to a challenge of like the traditional top six for the last two or three seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they have the players. Like I say when they are back fit, they have the players. Obviously, they still have okay reserves. But one thing I can't work out is why someone like Adam Oda-Lutman isn't getting into the team when Leipzig would literally pay anything yeah. to get him. Well, not anything, but they will pay a significant sum mm-hmm. to get him to the Bundesliga. So how he can't get into the team, I don't mm-hmm. know. So yeah, they have they still have players that could do a job definitely. But yeah, I do think they'll probably be about seventh or eighth this year. I think they I've put them I put them in the group between it was them, uh, Leicester, I think Fulham. Mm-hmm. Maybe I mentioned maybe pushing for the top mm-hmm. half. And I think that that will be the group. I think Everton will be fine this year. But like I say a word on Huddersfield, like we said earlier, there it was a good point, and it was also uh, really good because in the group bet I did with my mates, I called that as a draw and then got roundly criticised for it. And it was one of the only ones to come in because everyone else had messed it up. So I was very happy about that from a personal point of view. But yeah, like I said, they, they did okay. They performed not too bad. I mean, I feel like they should have won the game against Cardiff, mm-hmm. but obviously they were down to 10 men at home. And like I said before, they may struggle this year, but I do feel like they will pick up the odd result like that across the season. So uh, yeah, it was an interesting performance from Everton. Really, they they went one, they got back to one all, and then they didn't really seem like they had anything else left in the tank in terms of ideas. Like the energy was there, but Marco Silva, like I say, is still yet to really get his feet under the table. Exactly. But yeah, so that be it was a it was an interesting game, but also not a lot happened in a way. <laughs> so it was interesting, but it wasn't very exciting. The last game of the weekend, which was uh, Cardiff versus Arsenal. A game which, considering Cardiff hadn't scored a Premier League goal before Sunday even, they managed to, to get two against Arsenal, uh, but still, unfortunately, lost 3-2. Now, my opinion of this game was that the attacking threat that Arsenal have, I think, is very, very good. And I actually think that a, a partnership between uh, maybe Aubameyang and Lacazette could be developing, which must excite many Arsenal fans, because it's quite rare to have... I know maybe they were playing Aubameyang as maybe more of a winger on Sunday, but to have two... Fords having a partnership is quite rare in in modern football, but they look so weak at the back. I mean, they look so susceptible to conceding goals. Czech clearly isn't playing the way he wants to play. Socrates, I think, looks susceptible, and you can definitely get up get at him. Um, what what do you make of uh, Arsenal's start to the season? Even as a Tottenham fan, is there any positives, and and or do you think they're going to struggle going forward? Um, yeah, I, I feel like, like you said, they're a bit top-heavy, maybe, in the way that they, um, sort of like the, the way their team is. Like I said, they have got quite a good front three or four players, like, with, um, obviously, the two up front. But, yeah, the defence does look very dodgy. And, I mean, like, that was pretty evident in the Chelsea mm-hmm. game, 
obviously from a couple of weeks ago, and also to some extent like the the West Ham game that we spoke about last week about the fact that they even though it was a three one when it was closer than we thought, and obviously like I say Cardiff are not expected to pull up many trees this year. But um, obviously, you know, like I've, I touched upon before, like you know what sort of game you're going to get against them. It's going to be quite physical, quite up in the air. And obviously, you've got like the, the sort of the home crowd, which obviously will get behind the home team as much as they can to make up for the shortcomings in maybe quality that they have. And I felt like Arsenal just about dealt with it on Sunday. But yeah, they, they did look very, very flaky, which is no surprise, obviously, because we were talking in our little WhatsApp group, and I did call it on Saturday night that I thought Cardiff were going to win because I could just see like the, the way that they've uh, Arsenal have come unstuck before. I know it was obviously under Wenger, but obviously a lot of that, those players still remain. Like The way they used to come unstuck against like Bolton under yeah. Allardyce mm-hmm. and then Pulis is Stoke and I could see that happening again with like sort of like with set pieces and free kicks and corners um, that they could get done and obviously they did let a goal in from a uh, free kick the second goal from um, Ward I see yeah Danny Ward yeah so obviously like say again the quality may be not there for um, (laughs) not there for sort of Cardiff but like I said they did cause enough problems in the Arsenal defence to sort of really really trouble them which is obviously a point, a point for them going forward. They need to address, even with the, obviously the signing of the supposedly like experienced centre half with Socrates, and um, like I said, with a supposedly decent back four or back five, depending on what formation. They just look yeah. a bit dodgy, and like I say, it's definitely their, That's their priority now. They need to sort of get a system in place where it works for the goalkeeper, or just maybe just get Leno in if Czech can't play the way that. Emery wants him to then I mean they spent the money on the goalie anyway so they may as well yeah. get him in like Czech is a little bit older than I don't, I don't see why they spent the money and then not put him in I, I wonder whether it's Emery giving Czech a chance because of his age and, and I wonder whether if, if, they, if, yeah. if Emery does sort of make a sort of a decision to start playing Leno maybe that would then be Emery making the decision well that's his career at Arsenal done um, and perhaps maybe he wants to give him a fair shout at the beginning of this season. Get we'll see if he can do it, and if he can't, then then that would be goodbye. Maybe at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a valid um, valid sort of hypothesis. But like I said, I would bring it back to the time. Obviously, I mentioned before when Villas-Boas was in charge, and we kept playing Brad Friedel in goal when we had yeah. Lloris on the bench. Obviously, Lloris in 2012 was a different player to Lloris now, but he was still considered like a, a very, very good goalkeeper. And the fact that we kept persevering with Brad Friedel because he seemed to be quite a good guy and a leader mm-hmm. in the dressing room was quite bizarre, really. And I feel like there is maybe a bit of that going on at Arsenal. Like maybe in a couple of years' time, we'll look back on this and think, if Leno turns to be mm-hmm. really, really good, why the hell exactly. are bothering? Why, why were, they, were they bothering to keep checking? But, but obviously, with Emery coming in as a new manager... It's probably not the best tactic to be pursuing. Mm. Um, but like I said, they are, they're just about doing enough to win games at the minute, which is obviously important for their fan base to get sort of like up and running. A bit like the opposite of like we said about West Ham earlier. Like they've got the points on the board now so they can maybe kick on after the international break. But then obviously they still have problems to address. It's not going to be easy for them, but it's a little bit more bearable now they have mm-hmm. a couple of wins even if they were a bit sort of like, let's say, scrappy and hard fought. I think um, one of the things I've noticed about Arsenal this season, I mean, they've lost two games that you probably, you'd think they would lose to City or, or, or be close. And they were unlucky to, well, it was a close game against Chelsea anyway. Um, and that we spoke yeah. about how maybe they were a bit fortunate to beat uh, West Ham with the scoreline they did. But 
if you're a non-Big Six side, they definitely feel like the big team that anyone can get at and anyone can get a result on, the, on, on their day. Um, and that must be quite uh, difficult for Emery to take on board because suddenly all these teams are going to be coming to the Emirates. And I know when we got promoted to the Premier League, that was a that was a game where we just knew they were going to be better than us and they were going to walk off the pitch with three points every time. But I feel like there's going to be a lot of teams in the Premier League this season thinking we can get three points a year off of Arsenal if we if we really play well. Yeah, definitely. Like I say, they they seem to be the ones which sort of maybe the softest mm-hmm. underbelly in terms of their sort of like the way they the way they've started the season. But I, I do think this year is going to be a lot more open though. I think I feel like teams can be got at to some extent. Obviously, you see, you saw the Tottenham game on Sunday. We were sort of like rattled by Watford for the last maybe half an hour or maybe even second half, if you're being brutally honest. And obviously, like you say, with Wolves um, doing a job on Man City, getting a point. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you've seen Manchester United's shortcomings. Like the only one we haven't really seen is Chelsea yeah. at the minute. But I'm I'm sure that, well, even to some extent in the Newcastle game the other week, um, they looked a bit, after Newcastle got back to 1-1, they looked a bit devoid of mm-hmm. ideas. Maybe So maybe that will come back and that will be a problem for them later in the year. But yeah, definitely Arsenal are the weaker ones and that is obviously going to be a problem with Emery. I mean, hopefully he hasn't come into English football with the idea that he can just turn up every week and win like he did at PSG maybe because that would be very naive of him. But yeah, like I said, they definitely are the team that maybe could be got at by um, teams going to the Emirates as well as playing them mm-hmm. away from home. Obviously, because they had a terrible away record last year, didn't they? They lost like eight or nine in a yeah, row, I think yeah. it was. Like lost teams like Brighton, Newcastle, lost to Spurs and lost to Man United yeah. as well. But like they did lose to some teams they should be beating if they're going to get back into the top four. So yeah, it's definitely a, it's something that is a bit of a hangover from the Wenger, the Wenger <laughs> era anyway. So he definitely needs to get involved with that as soon as he can. Otherwise, like I say they will be struggling to get into the top four. Just to briefly speak about Cardiff, what uh, Warnock came out after the game and said it, it was a cracking game and he was pleased despite the defeat. Do, do you think he is um, talking as if maybe is he knows that they're going to go down this season and he's just, just sort of trying to let the fans know they should enjoy the ride? Or do you think he actually does feel that they should be winning those type of games? Or, or how do you think his mentality is going into this season as well? Um, well, it's a, a good question, actually. It's good that you mentioned that because I did watch um, an interview with him, I think it was last week on Football Focus, and they were sort of talking about his comparing his time in the Premiership before. Obviously, he was there with Sheffield United and um, with uh, Palace when he became their manager about five years ago. And they were saying about how he can notoriously be quite like a spiky character. Obviously, we mentioned before, he's like a fully qualified ref and like knows all the things and good at winding up fourth officials. But he has said that he has more of a sort of like a, a fatalistic out like outlook now. I mean, he mentioned in the interview, it was quite good actually mentioned about his wife was ill for a bit and now thankfully she's sort of got better. So I think maybe that put it into perspective for him and thinking, well, okay, maybe football isn't the be all and end all. Obviously it is important, but it's not more important than other things um, at the end of the day. So I do think he's definitely had this sort of mentality change and I feel like they've not spent big. So if they do go down, he can they can manage it. It's not like they're going to be plunged into massive mm-hmm. debt. Um, so I think, like I said, he has, he has got this mentality that, OK, we'll enjoy the ride. If we stay up, fantastic. If we don't, then we can go again next year. But yeah, I do generally think he is maybe sort of um, sort of toning it down a little bit now, maybe because he's getting on a bit. And obviously this might be his last chance mm-hmm. in the Prem. And also, like I said, with, with him being sort of having a different outlook on life, 
but yeah, he's definitely seemed to be sort of like preparing the fans for the worst, but also definitely enjoy the ride because they're not supposed to be up this year. Like by all common consent last year, like no one would have backed Cardiff Cup. Even like the Cardiff season ticket holders would have probably said, oh, we'll take mid-table playoffs at a push. So yeah, I, I feel like he is more just enjoy the ride. If we stay up, then fair play. If not, then never mind. Great. So uh, the two things that have happened since we we've, we last uh, recorded a podcast was uh, the England uh, squad announcement. Um, but first, we're going to talk about the European draws. Uh, so if we start with the Champions League draw, uh, as a Tottenham fan, it's a tough group stage, isn't it? But uh, I think a lot of people have sort of said that it, it, it looks like it's a bit of a group stage for the neutrals. There's, there's going to be some really feisty groups. Um, speaking on a Tottenham front, um, what do you make of it uh, in Group B this time? Cannot wait. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, like just just looking at the games, like, I mean, I, I mentioned it briefly again when we were talking on last week when we when we, the draw was made on last Thursday, and that's the whole point you get exactly. into the Champions League. Like you want to play these teams. Like I remember the first year, well, not the first year, but like um, that we got in because obviously we had a hard group then. But two years ago when we got in for the first time under Pochettino and we got Leverkusen, Monaco and CSK in Moscow. And people were like going, oh, nice one. Yeah, we'll get through that and then we'll get through into the qualifiers, uh, into the knockout, sorry. But obviously we got we got tipped out in the group stages because we performed terribly. And people were saying like, well, so that was all the effort then for the last five years trying to get back into the Champions League and then we end up messing about yeah. like that. And obviously last year we had Dortmund and Real Madrid and basically just wiped the floor with them and finished top of the group. And yeah, I, I do think I'm very much looking forward to the games. I mean, Inter Milan, that'll be interesting to see what they've been up to since we last mm-hmm. played them, which is obviously like when Gareth Bale was <laughs> at Spurs and he um, did things to Mike on that has never really been mm-hmm. recovered. I think he's really in a corner crying, isn't he? <laughs> um, but yeah, that'll be good games. Obviously, PSV is a very, very difficult proposition. Like Dutch football, again, sometimes gets a bit of a hard time because of the players that come over from England, but they are still obviously a decent side. They will be looking to... Um, defend their title this year. I think they they're reigning champions in mm-hmm. in Holland. Not gonna be uh, not gonna be uh, easy. And then obviously you've got Barcelona, you've got Messi coming to Wembley again from I think he's the first time he's played there since the Champions League final when he took United apart. So that'll be good. But yeah, like I say I think if we can get through the group stages then it's it's all what it's all about. It's just the adventure of it really. I find it like maybe it's a bit of a small time thing to say, but I just find it really fun. Like the fact that we're in it and we can compete against yeah. these teams. Well, I think that's you've you've hit the nail on the head, really, because the the Champions League is the best thirty-two teams in Europe, and that's that's the idea of it. Idea of it. Now, if you want to, uh, mm. if you wanted a group like maybe City got with Shakhtar, Leon, and Hoffenheim, then that's not yeah. really the point of getting into Europe. It's about playing these big teams, and it's about playing teams that. I mean, some teams are never going to play Barcelona in a competitive, in a no, competitive exactly. game. Some teams are never going to play Inter or Napoli or PSG. Uh, and even United are going to play Juventus. I mean, that's, that doesn't happen that often. Um, so to have the opportunity mm. to, to, to go to Camp Nou or, or have Messi come to, to Wembley and, and the San Siro will be a great game as well. I think it's a great opportunity. And I, 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 it seems to be that there's... That, some of the teams that maybe have a history in, in Europe, like the Uniteds and like Liverpool, those are the teams that always say, oh, we want these easy groups. And oh, the other teams are always lucky because they get these easy, easy groups. 
But then you do end up playing teams like Young Boys in the group stages, and, yeah. and there's no real, there's no real draw to that. That's just an extra game you have to play on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night to get you somewhere so that you're qualifying to play someone in February next year. I mean, it's just not as exciting. But I'm in complete agreement with you. I mean, having only an interest in the English teams, I guess, I will really be looking forward to seeing Tottenham play Barcelona. And I rarely get to see PSV play. So that would be quite interesting to watch them play Tottenham as well. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it's great. I think I, I actually think in terms of qualifying, I think you, I think Barcelona are probably the best team in your group. But That's I don't fair. think... Yeah. There's that much of a difference in terms of what I've seen this season between Tottenham and Inter. So I, I think that you've probably still got a good chance of qualifying. And they are they were seeded fourth for a reason, I guess, as well. But um, I think you've got you've got real. I, I think Liverpool may struggle to to qualify from their group because they've got um, PSG, uh, Napoli, and they've got someone from Serbia, which I'm guessing is. Well, on the Champions League website, is that is that Red Star? Is that is that who who it is? Yeah, um, yes, Sveda Svedsa. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they changed changed the name. The, um, yeah, that's the that was a, something I was going to point out as well because that I saw that the other day. That's the first time they've qualified for the Champions League since 1992, which is a big shout wow, out to okay. them. Obviously, like through because obviously they were one of the sort of the teams from like the old Yugoslavia, like back in when it was the European Cup, they were sort of like uh, traditionally in there every mm-hmm. year. So that's sort of like a bit of a throwback in a way. Like you said, the, the teams like Liverpool and United looking for easy groups and they uh, Liverpool are looking at it. And then you've got um, Red Star Belgrade in there who are like, it is like a throwback <laughs> to the late 80s. <laughs> so obviously that would be comforting for them for when they used to get into the uh, European Cup. But yeah, yeah it's um, like I say, I mean, Going back to what you said about Man City as well, like the, obviously they've got an easier group because obviously they were the champions of yeah. England, and mm-hmm. rightly so. That like should be. But obviously those games that have got even then, I still think that's going to be quite difficult. I mean, um, Leon have got a very young team full of sort of like energetic mm-hmm. players and that will be a hard game. And also the Hoffenheim games will be manic. I mean, I'm looking forward to them. Like I say, you're looking forward to the, the Barcelona-Tottenham mm-hmm. games, but the, the Hoffenheim-Man City games will be off the scale. <laughs> I mean, if 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 Nagelsmann turns up with um, playing like three at the back and whatever, and and going for it, that is going to be something mm-hmm. special. So I'm looking forward to those very much. Um, and like I say, even like Man United Juventus, um, that will be a good good sort of test to see how if Mourinho can still do it on the sort of like the European stage because that's traditionally where he thrives when he's sort of got like. Obviously, I know last year they had the exit to Sevilla. Mm-hmm. You think he could maybe mastermind them through the group, and then you, you never know. And obviously, let's like say with uh, Liverpool and PSG, that's going to be a difficult one as well. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I, I feel like our group, like I said earlier, it, it mirrors the group from yeah. last year. So you've obviously got Barcelona, who traditionally would probably top the group, even though obviously a lot of people said that about Real mm-hmm. last year, but it didn't happen. Um, but then obviously they went on and won it, so they did okay. Um, and obviously, a lot Spurs and Inter probably the similar quality in terms of players and sort of like league standing. And then you've got a bit of a surprise in terms. Obviously, we had last year we had Applewell, who turned out to not be such of a surprise because they were maybe a little bit poorer quality, but they still were okay for. A, well, I mean, we played them in Cyprus and they were like okay for a yeah. half. So they were, and obviously PSV will be the same. Like again, not many people watch maybe Dutch football mm-hmm. regularly, so they're not to be underestimated. So it, there are a lot of parallels with last year. So. I'm I'm quite confident we can give all of the teams a game 
which is something I wouldn't have said maybe five, six years ago. We can definitely go to Barcelona and not maybe not win, but like we can like impose a, hopefully impose ourselves onto their mm. style rather than just sitting there and getting beat like four or five nil. An early prediction. I know it's before any games have been played. Do you have a favourite? Who you think anyone who will come out and win the Champions League this season? Do you think it will be another year for Real Madrid or or perhaps an English team will challenge? I think if anyone's going to from England, it'll be Man yeah. City. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they got to the quarters last year, I thought they were going to go on and win it, and obviously Liverpool tipped mm-hmm. them out and made me look right mug. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do think Man City. I think. For purely, maybe sort of superstar status, probably Juventus. If they can, if Ronaldo is on it mm-hmm. again, he could get them to the final yeah. at least. Um, like one man show, just straight in. And then, like you say, the traditional you've got Real, Barca. I mean, Barca, they haven't really troubled the Champions League for the last couple of seasons. They've obviously got tipped up by Roma last year and then um, had a couple of semi final and quarter final exits before mm-hmm. that. So it'd be interesting to see how bounce back because obviously Messi hasn't got many years left at the, the proper top of the elite game same with Ronaldo so it'd be interesting to see if they can bounce back um, so yeah it'd be, I think it would be between City, Barcelona and Juve but if you probably had me write down a position right now I'd probably say Barca okay. what I, about I, you? So yeah I think Ronaldo hasn't hasn't started scoring yet in in Italy, but it doesn't particularly concern me because I think he had a similar start to last season with Real. Um, so, but I think he, if they are going to succeed in Europe, I think he's going to have to be key um, for their success. So, so I, I could see them doing very well. I think I think PSG may do okay this year. I think if they can get out of their group with Napoli, um, Red Star, and Liverpool, I, I think Kylian Mbappe. I think in two or three years' time, he's going to be the best player in the world. And I think he had a, a decent, had a good World Cup, and obviously France won it. But I think if he can have a season where he maybe translates it into eight or nine Champions League goals, and they're, they're dominant in the group stages, I think they've got a chance. But I, I do think one of their weaknesses is just how uncompetitive their domestic league is. Um, and it sometimes shows through with the naivety. I mean, the, people always draw it back to the Barcelona result a few years ago when they were, was it 5-1 yeah. or something like that? And it was, it was ludicrous. And I think... <laughs> Emery as well. Emery, exactly, yeah. But I, I think they do have a chance this season. I agree with you, though. If it's going to be an English club, I think it will be City. And I, and I personally feel that that is a focus of Pep and, and probably the owners this season. It's been their design for so long to win the Champions League. And that's been that really has been their focus, and, and frankly, they've been a bit they've been a disappointment so far in the Champions League. So I do think they're going to push a lot of focus on that this year. I would really like if an English team won, um, and it, I don't particularly like Man City just because the way they have done it over recent years uh, and the way the way they've yeah. achieved their success. But it would be really nice if maybe two English teams got to the semi-finals. Like like it was maybe in the in the late two thousands that 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 sort of English dominance I'd like to, I'd quite like to come back. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like gone full circle really now. Obviously, you've got the Spanish teams almost doing mm. that, haven't you? With um, like both Madrid clubs and then Barcelona. But yeah, there were obviously there was not too long ago two, three, four English teams getting mm. to the quarterfinals mm-hmm. minimum, and then obviously the all English final one year, and then. That'd be nice, but yeah, I, I do think the games come on a little bit since then. But I'd like to, like I say, I'd like to see maybe 
Spurs get to the quarterfinals mm. if we can just break that barrier again back from when we did it under Redknapp. But obviously, it all depends on how we get on the group stages, and then if we get a a draw in the quarterfinal, uh, second round. Obviously, last year we topped the group and then still got Juventus. Mm. You want to play the best teams, yeah. but also kicking the nuts when you beat home and away and beat Madrid at Wembley and then you get the Italian champion. But yeah, so it'd be nice to see us get to the quarters and then just see how it goes from there. Like I say, you look at Liverpool last year, they got through City, then got um, beat Roma and then obviously came unstuck in the final. But you never know. It can, it can sometimes, the European campaign can sort of get carried away like that sometimes and it is surprising what a bit of momentum can do for you. Quickly, should we have a look at the Europe, Europa League? I mean, if we just pick out some of the British teams, uh, Celtic are in the Red Bull group with Leipzig and Salzburg, uh, as well yeah, <laughs> as well as Rosenberg as well from Norway. Um, looking across the other groups, uh, Arsenal are with Sporting Lisbon, Karabag, and Voskla from the Ukraine. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The well-known side from the with, with there's 16 groups in uh, in the Europa League. And Chelsea, Chelsea in Group L with Pauk, Bates, and Vidi. Um, so the, it's so difficult to to sort of almost comprehend the size of the Europa League because you also get the third the third place teams coming in uh, when the Champions League uh, group stages are not uh, finished. I mean, do you think that Emery or, or even Sari will be focusing on European success this season? Um, I think Emery has already come out in a couple of interviews and said he's going to be taking it seriously, which is really good because they go to Vorskla three days before the North London <laughs> derby. So if he could if he could send a full team all the way over to the Ukraine, play and then come back, that'd be fantastic. Their yeah, travel I do must think... be so long because they've got obviously Sporting in in Portugal, then Karabag's Azerbaijan, and Vorskla's Ukraine. The, the, yeah. the amount of miles they're going to do is going to be incredible. I know, like I say, that that is the perils you get with the Europa League. I mean, I like the Europa League for all the stick it gets. I do think it's a, it's a bit of a sort of like, I mean, some of the knockout games can be sometimes more interesting than the Champions League ones. Obviously, the Champions League has thrown up a couple of good seasons in the last couple of years. But before that, I thought the Champions League game, knockout stages were maybe a bit stale. Like, teams just defending. I mean, like, you get wild scores in the Europa League. You get, like, sort of 6-6 six, six <laughs> on aggregate or something like that. It's mad, really. But, um, yeah, so I do think it's much maligned. But, yeah, that is, unfortunately, the perils you, that you go through. I mean, like you said, you can get, do all those miles. I remember one year we were going, we were in Russia. Then we had a game inside the Arctic Circle in Norway. <laughs> and then we were down in Belgium, I believe, one year. So that was obviously like three very different mm. away days. Um, and it's just, and like I say, you get through the group stages and then you could get tipped up by someone that came third in the group stage. Like you could get like Liverpool yeah. or Tottenham or um, Inter Milan or whoever, really, or Napoli. So yeah, it is, it is a, a difficult com- um, competition to comprehend. One thing I would like to shout out, though, is um, I mentioned this as well the other day in our WhatsApp group. Um, big shout out to F91 Duda Langer. If any of your um, cohort from Luxembourg <laughs> are listening, um, they are the well the second team in the recent past to qualify for the European competition from Luxembourg. They're a semi-professional side. And like we mentioned earlier, if Burnley would have qualified, unfortunately they got tipped up by Olympiacos, but they would have been in Burnley's group. And um, it's from, like I say, Luxembourg, a town in Luxembourg with a population of just under 20,000. Wow. So it's about a quarter of the San Siro pop- um, 
capacity and they go to the San Siro as well. They've got a they've got AC Milan, they've got Olympiacos and they've got Real Betis. So a, yeah, leading on what a draw for them, that's gotta be fantastic, isn't it? I know. But like like I say, leading on from what we were talking about about that Nations League last mm. week, obviously Luxembourg not particularly known for their football, but um obviously the money they will get will be mad from that, just just to get into the group mm. stages. I mean they knocked out um I think one of the teams from Belgrade, I think it was Partizan okay. Belgrade. They're not out and uh, CFR Cluj, the Romanian team. So they've knocked out some sort of like well-to-do teams to get here. And like I said, they're only semi-professional. So sort of looking at national league level, maybe getting to the Europa League group Boy. stages in England. <laughs> and um, yeah, and like I said, going back to the Nations League thing, obviously Luxembourg, um, quite famously in the last Euro qualifiers, they got a, a last World Cup qualifier. So they got a nil-nil draw with France in France. So, I mean, if they're getting teams to the Europa League and then their national team is doing that, this Nations League could be a springboard mm. for them. Not saying they're going to sort of do anything major, but to get people interested in football and get the funding in. And like obviously, you look at someone like Iceland who had a big amount of funding into their national side and look at the successes they have now, this could be a springboard for them. So I just thought, yeah, that's a very good example of what we were talking about last week in terms of smaller nations from this League D really pushing above their weight and really getting involved in sort of like the top table of Europe. Yeah, so shout out to Luxembourg. <laughs> they finally got the shout out they've always wanted on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've been sitting there for like 13 weeks going off, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess if we're talking about the Nations League, it's good to move on to the internationals. Uh, the England squad was announced um, since we last did a podcast and actually quite surprisingly against what we all thought it would be, Southgate hasn't appeared to um, invite youth into the squad as much as we thought he might have done. It, it's almost more of a yeah. traditional England squad with maybe some of the, the heavier names coming in. Uh, I know there's been an injury. Uh, I think yesterday evening Sterling's pulled out of the squad and today Lalana has pulled out. Um, oh, really? I didn't see Lallana. I, I think it's because it's, he's got the shittest Mohican in the world. Um, it's, it's just <laughs> awful. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, so I was actually relatively surprised when I saw the squad just because there doesn't appear to be that. I thought people like maybe James Madison would get in the squad. I thought he was, he's had a good start to the season with Leicester, but overall it's, it's maybe a bit more of a traditional England Southgate team. Uh, how do you think uh, they, they face uh, up against, uh, is, is it is Spain on Saturday? Or is it Switzerland on Saturday? Yeah, Spain, Spain on Saturday. So they've got a Wembley and then they go to Leicester stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, or for a, just for a straight up friendly um, but obviously that's been the talk of where I work because I work in Leicestershire so everyone is um, everyone that is everyone's got a ticket for next Tuesday so that'll be interesting um, but yeah yeah. in terms of the team I, I mean one thing that's really baffled me I can't really work this out obviously you said about Sterling withdrawing mm-hmm. they've replaced Sterling with um, Marcus Bettinelli <laughs> the Fulham goalkeeper so we now have four keepers and then maybe three centre midfield attacking mm-hmm. midfielders with Lallana not playing. So yeah, I'd be surprised if they don't get someone like Madison in. Or like a lot of people were talking like you were last week about Jaden yeah. Sancho coming in from four Sterling. I mean that would have made perfect sense yeah. for me. Um or someone just anyone who can play left or right midfield if Sterling's not going to be there. Um but like I say, obviously Southgate, he's bought a lot of people, including my sort of like respect over the summer. Um, and like I said, these f- sort of like Nations League games are just basically to maybe try out some new players mm-hmm. and see. I mean, like, Lalana was a shock anyway. I mean, he's not played for Liverpool this no, year, has he? No. So, 
why he's um, maybe getting in the England squad, maybe like I say, on his name. Um, and I know Southgate, uh, sorry, Hodgson was a favourite of Lalana's mm-hmm. before. Like the Euros, he was one of the ones that went, maybe didn't do as bad in that terrible tournament yeah. we had. So, um, yeah, like I say, interesting to see, but I'd be surprised if they don't call at least one more person up in place of Lalana now. Um, but yeah, overall, it's pretty much of a muchness really with England. Like I say, there are only so many players we have that are probably international quality. Mm-hmm. You maybe like you chuck a couple of wild cards in there, like you say, like Madison or someone or Declan Rice, like we talked about last yeah. time. But you don't know if they're going to be any good. So I think stick with what we have, and then like I say, work around mm-hmm. it. Get the formation in place, like I said last week, for the qualifiers in March, and then go again. Really prepare, prepare for the Euros. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that there is a couple of people in there. Tarkovsky for for Burnley and and um, uh, I think Lallana was probably the same, but uh, Gomez has had a good start to the season, but but you maybe wouldn't have put him into the team after the, how good the defence was at the at the World Cup, um, but but yeah. maybe he's just using them as an opportunity to to see players. Tarkovsky maybe was unlucky to not be in the World Cup squad itself, so maybe it's it's more of a payback thing, especially after Cahill has sort of indicated he's he's not going to be in the frame or the picture of going forward anyway. I think as long as they play well and they sort of have that similar passion that England had at the World Cup, I think all the fans are going to be behind that team. It'd be interesting to see Loftus-Cheek play if, if Loftus-Cheek plays because he's had limited game time with Chelsea this season and um, he had a decent couple of games before the World Cup and when he did play at the World Cup, he was relatively good, maybe looked a bit naive and young. But one yeah. thing I was going to point out, which which I've noticed just over Twitter really, is that there's there seems to be a focus about the under-21s training with the senior England team. Um, and I, I wonder whether this is something that maybe Southgate's trying to implement at the moment is, is trying to get these guys, the people like James Madison, Damari Gray, um, I know Lewis Cook at Bournemouth as well, is trying to get these guys involved with the senior team from the off so that you know, well, if you're in the under-21 team, the aim is for you to be in the senior team in a couple of years' time. So if you're working together with these players a lot of the, our players are young. So if you're an under-21 player at the moment, you're going to be playing with the players that are in the current senior squad. And I quite like the way that maybe there may be that, there's that synergy there. And it that, that feels more like a European model, like a Spanish model, where a lot of them have been playing with each other for such a long period of time. When they do go away to internationals, they're confident in each other's ability. Yeah, definitely. Like I say, it's almost like second nature, isn't it? They've been playing together since maybe 17, 18, working their way up through mm-hmm. the ranks. Um, not only at club level but also international level like I say with the sort of the under under 21 group and then obviously the some teams have like or well, they used to definitely have like B teams or C teams like I say working their way mm-hmm. through and I think it does bring a good level of continuity to the team and hopefully like I say that it can inspire especially with the summer behind us it can inspire those sort of like players on the fringes maybe like I say who may be a little bit younger who would want to play for England so people like I say like uh, Lewis Cook like Harry Winks even though he's got a couple of caps same with Cook, like maybe not broken through properly mm-hmm. yet. Like Tammy Abraham, obviously he's down in the championship again next year, so he needs to start scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just players like that, just generally who can um, like learn from these players and say, right, what does it take to be an England international? Yep. Because I feel like now there's a lot more pride in it now, whereas before, maybe like I said, there was sort of a bit of a, oh, we've got to go and play for England again. We can't really be asked. There does seem to be a bit more of a sort of a culture change and hopefully that sort of carries on through the next generation that come through. But yeah, like like one thing I wanted to add about as well, the um, Joe mm-hmm. Gomez thing. I'd like to see going now forward, I mean, he's looked 
absolutely mustard for the first mm-hmm. four games. He looks really good. And obviously, he was a good player anyway, but obviously just coming into there and having like maybe regular games will maybe just get him to that next level. I would like to see him if like um, they were to carry on with the formation from the summer, maybe him pushed into the back three and then Walker back out yeah, at wing okay. back. Because even though Walker did well in the summer, I feel like that was just a temporary move maybe. Um, because obviously, even though Trippier is a very excellent crosser of the ball, I do think that probably Walker is a better option at wing back, especially against teams that will attack, like for example, mm-hmm. Spain. Obviously, like they're going to have tier players that will come on to us. Maybe Trippier will be better against teams that are harder to break down because obviously he can get the dead balls and you can load the box up, for mm-hmm. example. So it'll be interesting to see how Southgate manages that. I mean, a back three of Gomez, Stones and Maguire, I would be extremely happy with that, personally. Mm-hmm. But then obviously, like I say, it does create the Walker and Trippier dilemma. But it's something Spurs managed for a couple of seasons, so I don't see why England can't do it as well. Just picking them on, depending on who we're playing. But yeah, like I say, it would be very harsh to drop Trippier, but I would like to see that implemented against the better teams, yeah. maybe, just to see how how far we can pin players. And like, I would play Shaw as well, um, the way he started at United this season. He deserves to start. Him, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with that. I think he's. Had, I think he, he seems to be one of the players who's very grateful to be back in the setup as well. So I think he has had a good start to the season. And hopefully, he'll get the opportunity to play against Spain. What do you reckon the result will be in that game? I think we'll probably draw with Spain. I reckon it'll be maybe one-one. Okay, I think, I think we'll probably go ahead, and it'll be sort of very like oh, looking back from the summer and everyone will get a bit giddy again. <laughs> but I do think Spain, Spain are obviously a very good side, and I think they will pin us back. But I think if we can come out with a draw from those games, obviously, like I say, if we get relegated, I said last week, I wouldn't be that first mm. into the League B. But I think if we can get a point against Spain just to start this Nations League, because it's a bit of a new thing yeah. for everyone. How seriously do you think the players are going to be taking it? Um, I mean, I know there's like a little mini tournament next summer. I don't think they're going to be that fussed about mm-hmm. that. Because um, it's basically just two games, like you have a semi and then a final. But yeah, I, I do think it's better than the old friendlies. Whether the players react to it as like a taking it seriously as a third tournament will be remain to be seen. I mean, if you, I don't know if you've been keeping tabs. The thing about the Denmark players or going on yeah. strike about... Um, yeah, so they're basically they've picked they've got a friendly against Slovakia and they've picked a load of amateur players. <laughs> so obviously that's they've got their own problems there with the sort of the contract dispute. But um, obviously if that's their attitude to that, <laughs> and if it carries on, I think they play Wales on Saturday. Wales are going to win about nineteen nil. They brought um, in some futsal players. Am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, it's, it's they're not they're not professional yeah. footballers. They're sort of like maybe like, again. Like I said, doodling, and they'll have like a couple of postmen, maybe like a, a baker's apprentice, <laughs> <laughs> just sort of chilling and playing for their country, which is fair. Like that, that's how that's how national football should be. It should be professionals against a load of people that play part time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that'd be it'd be interesting to see. But yeah, I don't think it's going to be a massive change in the players' mentality. It's just maybe, like I said, use these as a bit of a more um, speedy version of a friendly get some confidence up and just see where we go from there really and prepare for the qualifiers when they do actually matter mm-hmm. but that would obviously like I say would remain to be seen fair enough uh, on a what do you think? sorry score I score for the I, I think um, I think England might win um, I think <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure 
how Spain are going to react after a poor World Cup. With with I mean, they've still got, I guess, and Luis Enriquez taken over as a manager. Is this going to be his first game in charge? Um, I believe, unless they have a friendly beforehand, it will yeah. be, yeah. So that'll be straight in. But yeah, so it's, I, I think if, if he plays, a, it depends how much of a, of a test he wants to make it for the players. If he wants to rotate the squad, if he wants to give players maybe a, a chance who didn't get a chance at the World Cup, like maybe Danny Welbeck. But um, I, yeah, I, I, I think... Um, England, if they play to like they did in the World Cup and are trying to be effective with what we're good at with the set pieces, uh, using free kicks, and I think te- technically there's a lot of good players on the ball. We could, we should be able to get a result. Um, it just depends how how Southgate wants to play. But yeah, I'm I'm quite com- um, quite optimistic. Anyway, we'll get a result. Yeah, I like so I I'll share the optimism. Maybe I think we'll maybe come a bit mm-hmm. short, but um, but yeah, I, I do. Um, I do think we can definitely get a draw. Like I say, if we if we really push ourselves, could maybe get that win. Like I say, but it'd be interesting to see just just as a bit of a test. Um, obviously, you've got the Croatia games and then Spain again in October, November. So yeah, it's a new it's a new venture for everyone. So we'll just have to see how it works. <laughs> but hopefully, we'll come out we'll come out of it with some good good sort of conclusions in terms of how we're going to go through long term for the Euros. Uh, on a slightly different and lighter note, uh, did you see the ghost goal in the Partick Morton game over the weekend? Oh, d- uh, yes. I mean, it only just went in by about four feet, didn't it? It was, it was, it was the it was, back it was, of the it was, net. It was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you've seen today as well. Partick have actually paid the guy who who scored the ghost goal his bonus for goals. So he's um he, he's oh, the most and, and luckily I suppose in. In the grand scheme of the game, Partick still won, so it didn't matter too much. But yeah, if, if you do get the opportunity yeah. and you haven't seen it before, it is well over the line, like so far. So <laughs> like all of the fans are celebrating. Yeah, exactly. Pedro Mendes against against United. It's so far over the line, but it's it's just the, the reaction to all the players is just disbelief that that the two people on the pitch whose job it is to check that this goes over the line didn't see it. It is unbelievable, yeah. but yeah, that was it's a very good, uh, very good goal to watch. Uh, I saw that on Twitter. <laughs> I, I do love that sort of like the idea that um, almost like the the, the two um, officials were almost doing it as a bit of a laugh, <laughs> and then when they when they, got, when they sort of got a bit serious, they were like, "Oh no, they're actually believing it." So yeah, we're just about it, whatever. We're just it's almost like just they're pushing it to see how far they. Because all go. of all of the Morton <laughs> players were like, "Oh, that's gone in. <laughs> that's a fair goal." Because it was a great finish as well, but. Yeah, I think the captain was sort of, you know, the classic, like, come on, lads, like with the arms, like, everyone up, we go again. And then he's like, oh, a goal kick, yeah, good, cheers, Rash. <laughs> the reaction, if they would have lost 1 0 or drew 1 all, and that would have been off the yeah, yeah. I, I The first I saw of it was, oh, again, on Twitter, like, Partick's official Twitter account, where, like, oh, do you reckon this was in? <laughs> and you could tell the tone that they were saying it and obviously it didn't matter because they won but yeah the, the absolute fuss it would have kicked up if that would have not counted and they maybe got relegated at the end of the year like <laughs> yeah yeah is there anything, anything you've got from the, from the weekend's action um, like I say apart from the dude Langer yeah. thing um, but yeah they've um, they've obviously t- stolen the headlines in my my book this week but also another thing as well which you don't see of much these days is a uh, a full 22-man brawl that happened in the Preston Bolton game. If you saw this um, at the weekend, it was on the Football League highlights, which I usually watch every week. Um, 
the game finished 2-2. It was quite a good game, actually. They showed, like, obviously, some highlights of it, some decent goals. Preston went two up. Bolton pinned them back um, to two all. And then nothing really happened in the second half. Like, no goals were scored, obviously, some chances. Then towards the end of the game, just... Um, Everyone just lost their head. It was like massive, massive head loss just everywhere <laughs> around the pitch. And two players got sent off after the final whistle. Um, you had Ben Pearson from Preston. He got sent off. And somebody else as well, from I believe from Bolton, got sent off as well. And it was one of those ones where you saw, you saw it on the, on the video printer from Soccer Saturday. And it was like 90 plus 8 violent conduct. And, and then 90 plus 8 violent conduct. You think, oh, okay, that's going to be worth watching. And then sure enough, they were just like scrapping on the centre circle, <laughs> everyone getting involved, which was quite, quite funny. Like I said, and it's something that you don't see much these days and people should bring it back because it's always good to see someone just leathering each other on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was a worthwhile thing. Like I say, if you haven't caught that, I'd recommend you catch that as well. That. that sounds decent. Very, very good. Yeah, very worthwhile. I mean, like I say, it's no boxing match, but they, there's some there's some punches. <laughs> yeah, very Awesome. Okay. Well, I reckon we'll call that a week. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Ryan. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and, and you, mate. Um, if, if Danny does edit himself into the beginning of this pod, thanks for him for his dial-in from Barcelona. It was very much appreciated. I'm sure a few of us will yeah. be back next week. But until then, enjoy your week. Uh-huh.